Uh, today we are concluding our series on The Circle Maker, which has been a series that we've gone through on prayer. And uh, you know, one of the neat things that I, I shared with you all last week, we have a man here named Daniel, uh, Daniel Fulmer. We prayed for him. He went to the hospital with a, uh, I thought it was a brain tumor and a tumor in his lungs. We prayed for him. They gave him two weeks to live. And uh, he had brain surgery two weeks ago. The next Sunday he was in church. And so that which is absolutely unbelievable. Now here's the fun thing about that. He was in church. He was in church last week with the cane. This week he didn't have a cane. He said it kept getting in his way. And uh, but the neat thing for me is that we had during staff we had one of our staff members that was out because they were sick. I said, listen, if somebody's having brain surgery and they're going to be in church the next Sunday, man, we're, we've upped the ante on when we can get out of work, right? I mean it was unbelievable. But he was again, uh, here again today, and I really believe this. I believe that it was the power of prayer that God moved and brought, is bringing healing to that man. And so I just said, just a wonderful, a wonderful testimony. But this has been a fun series for, for me, hopefully for you as well. And so we have just been talking about, about prayer. And today our focus is going to be on in our prayer lives, in our decision making, is for us to pray long, to think long term when we pray. Now I don't know how many of y'all are long term thinkers or long-term planners. I'll just be real honest with you, not really been my big strength, you know, thinking long-term. Uh, but I read a story that was, I was like, man, this is a story that was just, I mean, talk about people who were thinking long-term. It was, uh, there was a, there's an island off of Sweden that has, you know, just, it's, a, it's an oak tree forest and absolutely just huge. And it was kind of strange. It was a mystery to the people because those oak trees were not indigenous to that area. And so they had no idea how those oak trees will, were able to get there for a hundred year period of time. They are like, we don't know where these things came from. Well, the, the mystery was solved. Uh, in 1980, the Department of the Navy ended up getting a letter from the Forestry Department saying, the trees are now ready for you. And they were like, well, what are the trees here for us? I mean, they had no idea what they were talking about. So they did a little bit of research. And what they discovered is that back in 1829, the Swedish Parliament had, uh, had passed a measure that would cause 20,000 oak trees to be planted on this island. And they knew that it was going to take 150 years for those oak trees to come to maturity. Now the reason why they did that is they're like, well, we want to think long term because we realize that our, that our Navy eventually is going to need more lumber for their ships. And so 150 years later, in 1980, it was, they were ready to be cut down. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I thought that is what I would call long-term thinking. I mean, 150 years. I was like, I don't think like that. And just to be honest with you, I don't think a whole lot of people think like that. I think most of us do pretty good at being short-term thinkers. You know, we, we think in the, in the immediate. We think, you know, I, I, want, I want something to happen, and I want it to happen now. So I'll do whatever I can in order to get what I want right now. You know, we're very much uh, an instant gratification society. You know, we like instant coffee. You know, we like instant internet connection. Any of y'all ever get frustrated? You, you type in a site that you want to go to, and it doesn't happen within like three seconds, and you're like, I'm done. Now, I saw that the average wait time people will have for uh, actually getting to a site is, is like less than nine seconds. That's, that's what I call long-term thinking right there. Right, so we, we struggle with that. We want when and, it, and my fear is that it also that that kind of thinking's also seeped over 
into our prayer lives. You know, because when we say, well, I've, I've got a need, I have a desire, and so I pray for it. And so I expect that prayer to be answered within the next, like, 15 minutes. Or I expect it to be answered, you know, maybe even within the next few days. And if it's not, then we're just, like, done. And we get frustrated. Well, today, my hope is that we are going to see in Scripture that God desires for His people not just simply to be thinking about the here and now, but He wants us to be long-term thinkers. That whenever we, whenever we pray, or whenever we make decisions, whenever we make choices, that we will make choices not just simply based on how it affects me now, but how it's going to affect me in the future. And so today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see the, the prophet Isaiah encouraging the Hebrew people to look beyond the current and begin to look towards the future. To think about how life doesn't just play out now, but how it plays out in the long term. And so that's really my, my hope for you and, and my hope for me, that whenever we pray and whenever we make decisions, that that will be... You know, that, that we'll be sort of guided in whenever we are doing those things in thinking to the future as well. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look in Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to look in verse 27 in just, a, in just a few moments. And what we're going to see there in that passage of scripture is how we can begin the process of thinking long term. At looking at things a little bit differently. Now, as you look in this passage of Scripture, you're going to notice that Isaiah, he, he was talking to the people, and he let them know right off the bat. He said, listen, you guys, in the present, you are in trouble in the present because you've not been obedient to God. Uh, he told them in Isaiah 1-4, he called them this. He said, you are a sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity. You're a brood of evildoers, and it's not good. He said, you're depraved children. They've abandoned the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned their backs on Him. Now, simply put, what was happening is the people were living only for the present. And so they put God out of sight and out of mind. And then their thinking was, if we do that, then we can live any way that we want to, and we don't have to feel guilty about it. That sounds really good, but here's the deal about God. God is real. God's paying attention. And God holds his people accountable. That's a little bit scary. And so that's why Isaiah is saying when you make decisions as you live your lives, you got to be long-term thinkers. Because if you do that, then there, there's grace that comes from God. You know, Isaiah just called the people. He said, you're a brood of evil doers. But then he gives them hope in that same chapter. Chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, he says this. He says, now let's come together and discuss this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, so they'll be as white as snow. Though they're as red as crimson, they will be like wool. And he says this, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. So Isaiah, he desires for the people to be long-term in their thinking. He wanted them to understand that there are consequences that come with our actions. And so the question is, how do we, how do we think long-term? How do I pray long-term? And our text today points out to us a few things for us to consider in order to be long-term in our thinking. So, so what does it involve? Well, first of all, thinking long-term involves this. It involves considering who God is. 
if we're really going to think long term, do we need to really understand who God is? Well, who is he? Well, let's look in verses 27 and 28. Jacob, why do you say, and Israel, why do you assert, speaking of the nation of Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my claim is ignored by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never grows faint or weary, and there is no limit to his understanding. Now, Isaiah was going to be prophesying to the people what was going to happen to them in the future. And what was going to happen to them in the future, because they'd been very short-term in their thinking. So listen, the nation of Babylon is going to come in, and they're going to overthrow you, they're going to take you into captivity, and when that happens, you're going to start griping about God. So it's not God's fault, it's your fault. So, but you're going to start griping and say, where's God? Why is all this bad stuff happening to me? What's going on in my life is not fair. What's going on in my life, it is not right. It is as though God has absolutely no power and he has forgotten all about me. And I thought about that and I thought, you know, there's been times in my life when I've said the same things. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever questioned where God is? Have you ever wondered if God has any power? Have you ever gotten to a point in your life where you felt like, you know, even, even, though, uh, even though there is a God, I don't think God has power to help me out. And then that's where the Israelites were going to be when they got into captivity. See, the people knew God had given them the land they were living in. You all remember the story? You know, Moses takes them out of, out of Egyptian captivity. Joshua leads them into the promised land. They conquer it. And God had said, this land is yours. And they take it, and they're all excited about it. But then after a period of time, they sort of forgot about God, and they started doing what they wanted to do, and they, they lived like they wanted to, and then punishment comes. And the Babylonians come in, and as you read through Scripture, you see they come in, and they're going to take the temple, and they rip it down. They tear the place up. And so the people are absolutely defeated. And the people are wondering, can God do anything? Because we are going to be defeated. And that's where Isaiah says, don't forget who your God is. He said, instead of being enslaved by your present, by your circumstances, if you're going to think long term, and if I'm going to think long term, I have to remember the identity of God. So who's God? Verse 28, we're told he's the everlasting God. We're told he is the creator of the whole earth. We're told he doesn't grow tired or weary. We're told that he's all-knowing. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means instead of us being totally overwhelmed by our circumstances and allowing our circumstances of today to dictate how we live, Isaiah says you need to think long-term and remember who your God is. He is the everlasting God. You know, so what, what good does that do me? He's everlasting. It means that he's always, he's always here. He's always, he's always the same, and you can know this, because he's everlasting, it means when he makes a promise in the past that he's going to keep it in the future. He always keeps his word. As a matter of fact, God was going to tell the people, you're going to go into exile, but 70 years from now, God said, I'm going to deliver you and give you freedom. Now, how could God say something like that? It's because of who he is. Who is he? He's everlasting. Who is he? He is a God who has all power. He is the creator of all things. 
We're told in, in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, everything's created by God in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. Now guys, where we get into trouble is we forget that. We forget about who God is. Understand, God is everlasting. He is always present. And he will always work with his people. Always. And unfortunately, a lot of times, we forget that. We don't think long term. We just think our present circumstances and feel like I'm abandoned and I'm all alone. I saw a story about Margaret Thatcher. And, you know, I'm sure many of you all remember her. She used to be the prime minister of, uh, in the United Kingdom. And uh, she was prime minister, this was in the 1980s, she was going around visiting some different places, and she came to a nursing home, and she was going around talking to the people in the nursing home. There's this one lady, and, and she, you know, that lady had no idea who Margaret Thatcher was. And so Margaret Thatcher walked over to her, and she got down on her knees and lays in a wheelchair, and she said, do you know who I am? And the lady looked at her and said, I, I have no idea who you are, but if you ask that lady at the desk, she'll tell you who you are. <laughs> now... I thought, that is how, that's how a lot of us are when it comes to God. That's how the people of Israel were when it came to God. You know, they had no idea. They, they'd totally forgotten who God was. They'd forgotten about the power that he wielded. They forgot about the promises that he made. And so what was happening is they were living, they were living in fear, and they were living in distress, and they were living in defeat, because they no longer recognized who their God was. And I think that's where a lot of people are today. Where we live in fear and we live with no confidence because we don't remember who our God is. We don't remember he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We don't remember that he is the God of eternity. We don't remember that he is a God who went to the cross and he died and he rose from the grave. He is eternal God. And so that, that's what Isaiah is pointing out here. He's like, listen, if you're, going, if you're going to pray and if you're going to live in confidence, you have to live and think long term. And a part of that involves this, remembering who God is. Who's God? He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. But thinking long term also involves this. Involves considering God's strength. We, we want to remember who God is, but we also want to remember his power. Now, now look with me in verse 29. It says this, he gives strength to the weary, and he strengthens the powerless. Now, the people Isaiah was writing to, they, they were going to need strength. And the reason why was because what they were getting ready to go through. As you read later on, if you want to read about what happened to these people, read the book of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations in your scripture. Now, just to let you know, it's very depressing. I mean, you'll read about it, it's horrible what they went through. People, they were annihilated, they were destroyed. And so as you read through that, you see all the horrible things that they went through. And I'm sure a lot of the people, they lost confidence in themselves. I'm sure they had lost confidence in if their God was even real. I mean, they were absolutely decimated. But even though the people felt weak, Isaiah said, I want to remind you something. God is not weak. That's why in verse 28, he told them that he was everlasting. That's why he told them that God was the creator of all things. And now he says, but our God is also all-powerful. If you look in verse number 29, Isaiah said, God will give strength 
to the weary. Now that word weary, real simple word, it, it means tired. It means fatigued. God gives strength to those who are tired and fatigued. Now let me just ask you to think about this for a second. Are any of you tired? You know, any of you, are any of you, and I'm not talking about, you know, you're just like sleepy because I'm preaching. I'm talking about, the, are you like sleepy? Are you like fatigued because of life? Because of your job, you've had a job, you've had the same, you just do the same thing over and over and over again, and it's just wearing you out. Are, are you fatigued? Because you, you look at what's going on, you begin to realize, you're thinking, you know what, it doesn't really matter what I do. Things just are bad. And I don't have any charge over that stuff. I can't change the way people think. I can't change the way people live. And it's like we are just going through the cycle of life over and over. It's like Groundhog Day. And we are just absolutely worn out. Now, if you feel that way, let me tell you something. Verse 29, God says he gives strength to the fatigued. The people in our, our text, they were going to be fatigued. Babylon was coming. They laid a siege around the city that lasted for over, I think it's over two years. People were starving to death. It was a horrible situation. They are wiped out. They are worn out. They don't see any hope for freedom. And then finally, the Babylonians come into the city and they rip down the temple. Now the temple, you have to understand the temple is a focal point of everything they did. When they built the temple, God had said, I will dwell in the temple. So when the temple is pulled down, they're thinking, God doesn't dwell here anymore. I mean, they are spiritually and emotionally crushed. They've come to the end of themselves. And, and, and so the, at this point, they are, they are, they're going to be crushed and defeated, and they only have two options. You either give up or you get help. And, you know, giving up's easy. You know, I can, I'm, a, I'm a great quitter. Giving up's easy. Go out, start playing golf, first hole, this ain't going to be good, I'm done. You know, I mean, just it's easy to quit. When you, when you quit, when you give up, there's nothing to giving up. You just say, I'm done. Getting help, it's a different story. Now, that's where, the, that's where the Hebrew people were going to be. They could either give up or they could get help. Now, now it's always depressing when you come to the end of yourselves and you realize, I can't do this. I can't handle life. You can give up, or you can get help. Now, here, here's the, the good news. Now, it's bad whenever you realize I don't have control. That's scary. But the good part is whenever you are at the end of yourselves, it is finally at that time when you can experience the strength of God. When you're at the end of yourself, it is then you can experience the strength of God. Now, I've shared this story with you before, but I just think it's interesting. Whenever, when, if, you're, if you're ever taught about how to rescue somebody when they are drowning, what they will teach you is when somebody's flailing around in the water, you don't dive in and swim to them and try to take hold of them right then when they're flailing around. Because if you do that, when they're, when they're screaming out for help, they still have enough strength in them, they can grab onto you and pull you under. You know what you do? You tread water and you wait until they're at the end of themselves. Until they start to go under because they don't have any more strength left. It is then when they have no strength, they are receptive to actually being helped. That is the beauty of weakness. It's in our weakness 
that we can be rescued. It's in our weakness that we are able to experience the power of God. The Apostle Paul wrote about this. Paul knew this. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, But he, God, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses. Why? So that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and impressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, the Bible says it is then I am strong. One of, the, one of the biggest steps you can take in thinking long term is a recognition on your part that God can work through you. And it's not because of who you are. It's not because of what talents you bring to the table. He can work through you when you empty yourself of you. And you tell him, I can't do it. I'm yours. And it's then that you'll be able to experience the power of God's forgiveness, his restoration, it's healing in your life. So we're going to think long term. Some things to consider. One is who God is. Another thing is God's strength. And then finally, if we're going to think long term, it involves waiting. Waiting on God. Now, these two verses are probably verses you probably are familiar with. In verse 30 it says, Youths may grow faint and weary. Young men may stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So verse 31, it starts off by saying this. Those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. That word trust, and some of your versions of your Bible will say this. That word trust, it means to wait. Those who trust, those who wait on the Lord will have their strength renewed. Now, whenever you are waiting on something, what, what are you doing? You are trusting that what you're waiting on is actually going to come to you. And so what were the people, uh, the Hebrew people, going to be waiting on? If they were going to trust in God, that, that means they were waiting on God. What are they waiting for? They were waiting for God to come and bring them deliverance. Now, I promise you this, they didn't deserve it. But they were trusting that as they were at the end of themselves that God was going to come and rescue them. He said, I will renew your strength. Now that word renew is an interesting, it's an interesting word. It's a picture of somebody getting a new wardrobe. They get rid of their old clothes and they get new clothes. So all you shoppers, you ought to like this verse. God says, I'm going to give you a new wardrobe. You know, you, you're tired of doing the same thing over and over again. You're tired of living life the same way over and over again. God says, when you trust in me, he said, I will come to you and I will take your old wardrobe and I will bring something new into your life. He will renew you in such a way, according to our scripture, where you will soar like eagles, where you will run and not grow weary, where you will walk and not faint. Now, that's not our natural tendency. Our natural tendency is as time goes by, we just sort of peter out, right? That's just what you do. I mean, when you're young, you have a lot of energy, then you get older and you get tired, right? Uh, you have a dream, you get excited about it, you go after it, and then time kind of goes by, and you're like, yeah, I'm kind of bored now. Yeah, I think I'm going to let somebody else do that because I'm just tired. 
Okay, but, but if you trust in God and you place your hope in Him and He gives you a vision, you don't, you don't Peter, out. what He does is He renews your strength because when God gives you a vision and He makes a promise, God's going to do it. And so you, you press on because you know that God is going to fulfill His word. God always keeps His promises. And y'all, we just simply need to be reminded of this. Those who trust in the Lord can know that God is with them. Those who wait on the Lord can know that they are going to see the power and the strength of God. But the question is, will you wait for it? Will you trust? Will you hang in there? When God lays on your heart to pray for something, will you be persistent in that prayer? Because you believe God's laid it on your heart and you know that that God always fulfills what he says. You know, a book that I read a number of years ago was by a, a, a Catholic priest named Henry Nowen. He wrote a book that was called The Sabbatical Journeys. And in his book, he ended up becoming friends with some people at the circus. I, I don't know how that happened. But he became friends with people at the circus and he hung out with them for a long time. And he said his favorite act in the circus were the trapeze artists. And you know, y'all you know, know that you know the trapeze people, you know, yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. You know, the swing, the people that swing on things. And so anyway, he was talking to them about that, and they were called the Flying Rudellas. And so he asked them, he said, hey, who are the most, what's the most important thing in a trapeze act? And he said, well, uh, the, one of the Rudellas said, well, there's, there's only two, there's two main people in a trapeze act. He said, there's the flyer, and there's the catcher. And the, he said, the flyer, of course, you know, that's, the, that's the guy who's swinging on that swing. And he said, there comes a time as he's swinging, as he's swinging on that swing, when he has to, he will arch his back, and he has to let go. Now, I don't know about y'all, that, that, I'm not good at that. I would just be the swinger, you know. And so he said, but the, if you're going to be a flyer, you let go. He said, when you let go, he said, he will just throw his arms up, and that's his only job. So that's all he does. He said, but then there's the catcher. Now, the catcher's job is as he swings, the timing has to be just right. As he swings, his job is to grab on to the flyer. He said, now, where there's trouble... When somebody's new, he said, whenever the flyer lets go, sometimes he's thinking, he should have caught me by now. He said, he'll start looking around. He said, when he starts moving his arms around, he goes, guess what, guess whose job becomes very difficult? It's the catcher. Catcher's, he can't, the catcher's not going to catch him because that guy's flailing around. He said, so when a flyer is flying, he said, his job is to wait and to trust that the catcher is going to catch him. Okay, that is the same thing when it comes to our walk with God. Now, some of you might feel very vulnerable right now. You might feel like you are, you are the flyer in that trapeze act. And there's some things maybe God has laid on your heart, some things that you need to let go of, some things that you need to go after. And God says, you release those things, and I'll catch you. And maybe, you haven't, maybe you've released some things in your life, but you haven't felt God's hand reach out and catch you yet. And so you're, starting, you're, you're getting a little freaked out here, and you're starting to, starting to look around, and you're starting to flail around. Hey, guys, if, if, God, if God has called you to let go of some things, God's laid it on your heart to pray for some things, wait. Just wait and allow God to do his job. Allow God to catch you. Because here, here's the deal. If you and I are obedient to God's leadership, here's what God does. God blesses. God keeps his word. Now, some of us, as we talk about prayer, praying circles, some of you have, have been praying for things maybe for years. But you know, God's just laid it on your heart. 
and, and you're starting to wonder, when's he going to do this stuff? Okay, here's my encouragement to you. Wait. Wait. If God is calling us and God has laid something onto our hearts to pray for, then do it. Because God always keeps his promises. Now, if you are a person who will wait on God, let me tell you something. You, you will leave an indelible mark on the people around you. See, most of us, we live life, most people live their lives trying to do everything themselves. And so they never experience the power of God. But whenever they see you, when they see you placing your hope and your confidence in God, when they see you thinking long-term and not just thinking in the now, it's going, to make, it's going to make an impact on their lives. It's going to make an impact on their lives because they're going to see God renewing you in the strength and in the power of God. You will live in strength. But that requires thinking long-term. And if we're going to think long-term, it means considering who God is, it means considering his strength, and it means waiting on God. My prayer for you and for me is that we will be a church, that we will be a people that will think long term, that we will even think beyond our lives, that we will make commitments and decisions that say, you know what, those things might not impact my life as I live on this earth, but it will impact the lives of my children and my grandchildren and people who move into this area that I will never meet. That means thinking long. Let's be a church that thinks long. Uh -huh.